All right, welcome to the Celtics Lab Podcast. I'm your host, Cameron Tepetapai, joined by Alex Goldberg and Dr. Justin Quinn, as I always am. And we have some breaking news, so let's jump right into it. Not, I don't know, an hour before we recorded this, it's Monday evening. Josh Richardson and the Celtics reportedly agreed to a one-year $12 million extension, such that through this season and next, the Celtics will pay Richardson $24 million. Alex, what do you think? So um, I've always been of the opinion that Josh Richardson is, the, the move for Josh Richardson is primarily with the intent of setting the team up with movable salaries uh, going forward. And this, I think, adds some uh, some momentum to that idea. Uh, adding another year onto Richardson's deal basically gives the Celtics the opportunity to trade him either at the deadline or in the offseason next year, um, mm-hmm. both of which are possibilities. Um, I think also just to, it has to be said that I do think Brad actually likes Richardson as a player as well and wants him to succeed on this team. But if you look at the salary structure of the team with Marcus and Rob's extensions coming up, with Tatum, uh, with Brown salaries already on the books, team gets really pricey. And I have to think that Richardson, along with a couple of other players on this team, are mostly here with the intent of being shipped elsewhere. But we'll see. So I guess that's my take. All right, not bad. Justin, tell us, first of all, what you think, but second of all, all the minutiae that comes with adding this money to the books this year and next. Sure. So if you think back to the pods where we were talking about the Gordon Hayward TPE trade player exception, what we should do with it, we thought about getting players uh, who aren't going to clog up the cap for a long time and hopefully, preferably, fit the team well. And that's basically what's happened. Mm-hmm. Not really in the way we envisioned it happening, <laughs> but it's still kind of going to plan. It allows the Celtics to kind of kick the can down the road on some paying some fairly hefty tax bills. If they want to, they can still get under the tax fairly easily. The thing to keep in mind is now we have, you know, Richardson extended. We have time where we have smart. And everyone's like, well, let's go out and trade them for a star, you know, at the deadline, you can do that, but, What happens now because of that is they have what's called a poison pill provision, which the Mm -hmm. very, I'm not going to explain why it's out there. It's (laughs) just trust that someone tried to do something funky that the CBA didn't want to have happen. And this is a way to prevent it. And what's going on here is when, when we, we deal one of these players outgoing, their salary ends up counting for the average of the deal they signed and what they are making now. So, for example, Josh Richardson, it's not a very big deal because he's Mm -hmm. making about the same thing he was making before. So it's almost exactly the same number. But for Time Lord, for Robert Williams, it's going to be a much more confusing number because you're going to have to sit down and get that that $12.5 million and then average that with what he's making now, which comes out to something like, I don't know, like off the top of my like five or six million dollars, probably not in bad at math, whatever. Mm -hmm. Uh, But basically, what that means is, these are movable players after July 1st. And if you move them now, you can still trade them after, after the the six months passes for, for recently extended players, but you're going to have to do some funky math to make those salaries match perfectly in some of the cases. Right. And I I think it's worth pointing out that the smart extension, the 
uh, Time Lord extension that we'll talk about in a sec. And I believe this extension all do work in a way that you could then go ahead and flip any of those players at the trade deadline. But to your point, the finances aren't necessarily A to B. It's a little more complicated than that. The jury's out on Richardson. He's not really had an opportunity to be his best self in the past few seasons. Who is at full clip is pretty exciting and really worth $12 million as your seventh or eighth most important player. Who he is maybe at his worst. It's a little dicey, but it's a movable contract. So, okay, congratulations. Anyone getting a $12 million payday? Mazel tov. Uh, Alex, before we talk about Robert Williams, what were you going to say? Um, just that for what it's worth, I do think that there's a scenario where the Celtics set themselves up for a bunch of trade targets that never materialized. That has happened mm-hmm. in the history of this fan base and team, unfortunately. <laughs> but um, that being said, if that's the case, like, listen, Marcus Smart, Josh Richardson, Al Horford, and Jason Tatum all on the floor at the same time is just not going to be very fun to go against for any offensive unit in the league. So I think it, the Celtics are kind of trying to kill two birds with one stone here, where they're setting themselves up to go after big name, uh, big names through the trade market, but keeping a player who they could actually have some value for if they don't for another year. Kind of a win-win if you assume Richardson is going to be good. We're actually in the lab portion of this programming, which we'll get to shortly. We're going to kind of talk about who starts who closes the game and a little bit about the rotation. And I, I don't think we thought this was going to be the case six weeks ago, but the Celtics have a little bit of positional flexibility such that I think we've identified Richardson smart and Williams as kind of pieces to a possible future trade that if you pulled them out, the Jenga tower doesn't collapse. So the Celtics have redundant pieces now, which is kind of cool, but more on that later. Anyways, we were originally going to talk about a different extension, uh, the Robert Williams extension, the Time Lord. He and the Celtics reportedly inked, I think it's a flat four, $54 million extension. So as of this recording, there have not been any options reported or anything like that. And this for the time being, and I, I think we're overselling how likely a trade actually is, but for the time being, Robert Williams is going to be in Boston for a while, as is Marcus Smart, as is Jason Tatum, as is Jalen Brown. And suddenly that's a core. So Justin, I'll go to you this time first. What did you think when you first heard the news? And what do you think now that you've had a, a day or two to digest it? So this seems to be a lot more polarizing among people than I thought it would be. There are a lot of people who seem to be getting pretty upset about the risk, and there is risk. We, we saw him not even make half of the games per season for, I think, the first two years he was with the Celtics, only to see him. And this is what I thought was very positive. He did still have some hip issues last season. He did have a turf toe issue to finish the season. i like to point out that while turf toe could possibly be related to the hip issue, I don't think mm-hmm. that it is. It's, it's just a, it's a very common and very easy injury to get. It's just a sprained toe joint, basically. And as long as it's not chronic, it's not that big of a deal. But this season, he completed 70% of his game. So it seems to me, at least, that he's making a lot of headway with availability. So 
seeing what he can do on the floor when he is able to, you know, be out there. Uh, it seems like a no-brainer to get him locked up for this amount. It's probably a few million dollars cheaper than what he would end up making on the free market once he does get to restricted free agency. And you don't want to have to deal with that. If, if you could find a way to mitigate the potential risk to him of injury, as well as the potential tying up your money in a hurt player, I think that this is, or you know, the possibility of him getting a very big offer sheet and then potentially losing him. I think it's, for me all around, it's a very good deal. Well, I will say that that was incredibly level-headed <laughs> and cautious for the Celtic, for the fact that the Celtics just signed perhaps the second most fan favorite. Alex, do you also feel cautiously optimistic or are you emotionally turning up the heat? Uh, I, cautiously optimistic is understating how I feel about the Robert Williams extension. I think this is a steal of a contract. I think if Rob continues to get his body right I think with Horford in the fold, there's also going to be more opportunities for him to rest and really do that, put the time and effort into getting his body in a great place for the playoffs. I think we're going to look back at this as one of the best center value contracts in the league. I really do. Because if Rob can stay healthy, if Rob can capitalize on the potential that he showed when he had nine blocks against the Brooklyn Nets in a playoff game, if he can be that guy consistently for 70 to 80 percent of the season this contract is going to look like a joke people are going to think how on earth did rob get signed to this deal yeah a a point that we've talked about on this podcast a few times that feels a million miles away so it's kind of hard to make real is that the current cba expires or can expire as soon as two seasons from now is that right justin technically they can make it suspend other ways earlier than that, but that, yeah, scheduled. Right. So somewhere between two, three, I guess, four years with smoothing at the latest, all of these finances are going to look different, but there's definitely a world where the time Lord extension, the smart extension, even the Tatum Brown contracts fit in a completely different salary cap paradigm. And so suddenly this really cool, really young, really athletic core is not, (laughs) very expensive and every team is going to deal with the ramifications of that but just from a boston purview that's pretty dope so yeah my own read is robert williams hasn't given given us any reason to feel optimistic about his health but he's a young man whose body's still growing and still learning the game of basketball and the rhythm of nba basketball so it's cool it's super duper cool i I think, again, this has been the theme of the summer is the Celtics increasingly look like something to get excited about. And there's all all sorts of reasons to bite your tongue. But if you really want to get out and sprint, there's so much to like about this team. And if you're someone who wants this team to win, there's so much to look forward to. And speaking of which, we can talk about what games specifically they might win. So we last time we talked knew a little bit about the schedule, but now we know a lot about the schedule, including I'll just say it right now, because I think it's the most important date on the calendar is March 13th. Kevin Garnett's number will be retired, which we'll talk about. We can talk about the opening day and Christmas in just a second, but so we don't miss it. And so even if the Celtics stink, we can talk about something optimistic. Let's talk about KG real quick. Uh, 
Dr. Quinn, favorite KG memory, go. Favorite KG memory. Off the I know, top I just really put you on the spot. You, yeah, no, totally. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, I have to think about this for a minute. Come back to me. I have two. Uh, one is a specific play and one is a period of time. The specific play is game six of the 2008 NBA Finals. KG having a masterful performance against the Lakers in a closeout game. The play I'm thinking of in particular is when he went up for a kind of push shot uh, right under, I, I think it was like the, le- the second hash on the left side uh, and got hit in the air as he was going up to the layup. And as he was coming down, flipped the ball into the hoop with his hand for an and one, which was the kind of, capper moment on when it became clear that the Celtics were going to win the NBA title, an iconic KG shot. And then the other uh, thing that I think of when I think of KG is the entire 2012 playoff run when the Celtics were a team Mm -hmm. on complete fumes. They were so injured. Ray Allen was playing on one leg. Paul Pierce had been beat up the entire year. Avery Bradley, both of his shoulders stopped working and he was like our best kind of energy guy that year. And KG and Rondo went to work in those first few series and pushed a very good LeBron Heat team to an incredible Game 7 Eastern Conference Finals. Both of those are why KG to this day remains my favorite Celtic of all time. So I I will... You know, piggyback on those Eastern Conference Finals. Uh, I think it was Game Three when KG got a hard foul and did the most KG thing ever, getting up, which were the knuckle mm-hmm. push-ups. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Uh, whether it was seeing him Rondo or I remember the game that his forehead started bleeding. I mean, I know that that became like such marketing fodder, but the game itself was pretty good there's just something like so preposterous. I can't think of a Boston athlete that has been that much of a, even smart is more composed than that. Like just a complete like junkyard dog on the court. KG was so fun to root for and so different than Ray Allen and Paul Pierce in so many ways. So uh, we didn't have to belabor it because I'm sure the week of March 13th, there's going to be a lot of Kevin Garnett content, but I think for me, that was the most exciting thing about the schedule. Otherwise, as we've talked about Celtics open in New York, they play in Milwaukee on Christmas. Any other thoughts on the schedule kind of stretches that stand out things that caught your attention or not? I think the Celtics have the fourth or fifth most national TV games or something like that, which sounds about right. It's got a very tough middle of the season. It's actually not too, too hard. Uh, I think one of the first hard games actually is going to be November 12th against the Bucks. But the middle of the season, they have, a, they have a West Coast swing with a bunch of, you know, brutal back-to-backs. It's just, it's going to be a really hard December. I think as long as the Celtics can get through the middle of the season okay and build up enough steam ahead of it, then they'll be in a pretty good position. I think... I think the bar is pretty low to uh, outdoing last year. It does have to be said also that once again, the Celtics have the most back-to-backs in the league. Thanks a lot, NBA. Really love that. <laughs> we really love keeping that tradition. It's not that alive. bad. Come on. <laughs> it is not that bad, but I, I do think that those games make a difference, especially for a team with as many players at 
relative injury risk as the Celtics. Well, that being said, top five, just... top five, top uh, five weakest strength of schedule. So even though they have the back to backs, kind of bounces out. Okay, cool. Fair enough. I mean, I think that um, the schedule is fine. You know, the fact is that the Celtics are going to have to beat all of these good teams if they want to prove that they are among them. And that's how it's been. And that's how it's always will always will be in the NBA. The East is tougher this year. Um, the Celtics, I think, could be anywhere from as high as the three seed to as low as seven. They're going to have to prove it one way or another. Yeah, that's probably a good read. And for better or for worse, the, one of the toughest stretches, just as you alluded to, is in December. They have a big West Coast trip. I mean, they we're going to go out West for one stretch one way or the other. And yeah, the, the East is, I don't know, 10 teams deep and the West is 12 teams deep. It's not like there's that many, it's, you know, it's like, it's not your grandfather's Knicks or Kings to beat up on. There's a lot of good teams in the NBA right now. So the Celtics were going to take their lump, their lumps at some point. And if they finish, I don't know, 44 wins, 45 wins, that's about what Vegas is predicting. And that's as much about them as it is the rest of the league. So yeah, any other thoughts on the schedule? I know I jumped the gun and talked about Garnett early. Just uh, if we're talking about games that we're looking forward to, I really want Brooklyn this year, guys. I think healthy <laughs> Jalen and a better structured team with less defensive weaknesses is going to be much harder for that team to beat. And I am foaming at the mouth for some action there. <laughs> yeah, I think... I mean, we're going to move on in a second. Last season, it didn't just suck. It just like wasn't the real product. The Celtics were the COVID team again. So we have no real metric of what this team is as far as I'm concerned. So I'm pretty pumped just to see them play against the rest of the East. I mean, I don't know what's going to happen with Philly. I think Philly is desperately needs to trade Ben Simmons. And so they could be really good or really bad, but yeah, the rest of the big dogs in the East, I'm very excited to see what that looks like. All right, just um, before we hop into the Celtics lab and talk about rotations, a few more pieces of news. Bill Russell is selling his, is it Pudget Sound? His home Puget. in Puget. Where is that? Uh, outside of Seattle. It's basically uh, oh, Seattle and Bellevue. Okay, I knew that I had heard that. Okay, uh, so he's selling his home after nearly half a century where he's going next, we don't know, but if I hope it gets a good deal because the real estate market is nuts. Uh, Ray Allen <laughs> recently got cropped out of a Kevin Garnett Instagram story and also is slated to coach high school basketball in Florida. I think he's, he's going to be at the hall of fame event, right? Justin, but he is not going to be there on the behalf of. Oh yeah. Kevin yeah. Garnett. Yeah. Yeah. Who he has? I'm trying to remember, there he he's doing he's introducing somebody from the Heat, I think, who is going into the Hall of Fame. I'm probably completely screwing that up, but it's not endearing him to uh, Kevin Garnett anymore. And while I don't personally have any issues with people not liking other people that they used to work with, I'm kind of sick of hearing about it. Uh, do you think we can take odds on if uh, KG is going to address <laughs> Ray directly in the Hall of Fame induction speech? Because I, I want to see those odds. Is, is he speaking because of Vinny Del Negro? I just yeah. remember that he was uh, speaking and he was he was speaking for someone, I think, for the Heat. I can't remember. 
Oh, Chris Bosh. Oh, Bosh. Chris Bosh, yes. Bosh. Uh, Alex, yeah, to your point, I was about to say, if he's kind of on the margins of the weekend's events, then maybe not. But no, he's going to be right up there with the speakers in the orange jackets. So um, it looks like Paul Pierce is ready to be cordial. I don't think Kevin Garnett ever will. And as an entertainment, from an entertainment standpoint, that's cool. From a like interpersonal business relationship, that's pretty whack. So yeah, I don't know. Garnett. Yeah. <laughs> Garnett's I mean, a crazy Instagram follow. Yeah, I, I don't think we have to necessarily take all of our opinions from Kevin Garnett. We can still like him a lot <laughs> as a basketball player while not necessarily agreeing with him on everything. Ray was always going to be a mercenary. That was the plan the whole time. And it's honestly cooler if you just think about him in that lens. Uh, he didn't need to go join the Heat, but I understand. Hey, one last piece of news, and it's the perfect segue to what we're going to talk about in the lab, which is that friend of the podcast, Jared Weiss of The Athletic, noted on the Real GM podcast that Al Horford might actually start at the four alongside Rob Williams. And I know that we have speculated otherwise on this the Celtics Lab podcast. So, Alex, I'll go to you first. What the hell? I think, listen, here's the thing, fellas. When we look back at the past three NBA champions, the uh, Milwaukee Bucks, the uh, Toronto Raptors, and uh, the team in the middle there, uh, the Los Angeles Lakers. Oh, yeah, those guys. (laughs) Um, When we look at those last three title teams, all of those teams started a big man at the five and a big man at the four. And if that's the case, I don't necessarily hate it. I think that... Al Horford in Oklahoma City last year before he got shut down for being too good uh, was playing reasonably well. And I think that with pre-existing chemistry with Marcus Smart on the floor, along with Jalen and Jason, uh, with Rob there to kind of handle some of the bigger, more athletic players that Al might not be physically up to the task of dealing with at this point in his career, I really don't hate it. And I think in a lot of ways it might be the best starting lineup to run out uh, of the gate. We'll see. I think, you know, with Brad Stevens teams, obviously he's not coaching, but still as the GM, he's going to have impacts on lineup decisions. He's tended to be a matchup based guy. So I expect that the Celtics will cycle through a lot of different starting lineups, but I think opening night, I wouldn't be shocked at all to see Horford and Rob out there. And I think that could also be their closing lineup. Yeah, as far as hey, before big, we get to that just and justice issue, yeah, sorry, it's okay. As far as those two on the floor together, I, I don't necessarily see a problem with it to start. You know, they don't have to stay on the floor for extended periods of time, particularly if it doesn't work very well. I do tend to agree it's going to be matchup based. And if we think back to the double big lineups from last season. When we had Time Lord and Daniel Tice on the floor, it was about as good of a combination as we could see because of at least the minor threat of, of Tice being able to shoot the ball. Now, Al Horford shoots the ball a lot better than Daniel Tice ever, ever has. Mm-hmm. And I think that when you, when you factor in that, all but the smallest, fastest lineups, I think, are going to be okay, at least against these in shorter stints, you know, three, four, five minutes together, and then you break them up and stagger them for everything but maybe the, the last couple of minutes where you, where you, as we, we were alluding to 
they might close together. I don't think it's going to be that big of a deal. I also don't think it's going to be throughout much of the game, even in fairly good matchups. I think that we're going to see Rob on the floor probably around 20, 25, maybe 30 minutes a game at the very, very most. Yeah, part of why I think I'm, I don't want to say allergic to it, but not into the idea is that I don't want Rob or Horford to play that many minutes in regular season. Uh, Any given night that might change, but both of them have bad knees for one reason or the other. So I, for their bodies and for what they need, and then also from the perspective of how the players on the rest of the roster fit together, I don't really want to see it that often. Not, I thought the double, I understood the double big lineup. This is something different. I just, for those two players, I don't think it makes sense, but I do. First of all, I trust that Jared knows what he's talking about or has been told from people who know what they're talking about. And second, I suspect you're both right that it's not an impossibility. In fact, it's a probability depending on the night, depending on the matchup, depending on who's available. All right. Speaking of which, let's, let's rotate our way into the rotation. And first, I'm going to ask three questions. First, I'm going to ask, who are your ideal starters and why a player gets to start? There's a whole bunch of reasons for that. Vis-a-vis, my second question, who are the closers? Who are the five players that close the game? And then my final question, because we'll probably get into the minutia of rotations uh, a little more closer to when the season kicks off. How do you stagger Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum? So first, who do you expect to be predominantly the starters for the Celtics? And we can all decide, or one of us can say, actually, I think Udoka is going to switch it up a lot. But who do you think the starters are? I think uh, to start off, as I just mentioned, I really like starting lineup opening night. Marcus Smart, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Al Horford, and Robert Williams. I think it's a, the right blend of experience and youth. Um, I think that Al and Marcus, uh, Marcus, this is his first year as a starting point guard, full-time lead ball handler. And I think that he is ready for that. And I think that um, the hope is that when they signed him to that extension, that that was the intention of doing that. Um, I think that Al is there as a security blanket for Marcus as he feels his way into that role of being full-time starting point guard and playmaker. He's a reliable veteran, really good passer, knows how to call out rotations on the defensive end. Al just knows where to be and how to make the right play. And I think they're really mm-hmm. going to rely on that, um, particularly because Rob has shown such incredible athleticism and really game instincts. Like Rob has really good ideas a lot of the time in the flow of a basketball game. The problem is that he also has a lot of really hard reads that don't work out. And I think Al being there to kind of settle them down a little bit uh, to keep Rob out of foul trouble. I, I just think that that makes a lot of sense. I think that uh, there is probably something to be said for it being on a matchup basis. If they're playing a really small team, you might see Smart and Schroeder, and uh, one of those mm-hmm. two guys gets moved to the bench or Richardson. But I think opening night, it's going to be those guys. And I think, frankly, for the closing lineup, 
it's probably going to be a lot of that as well. I think the closing lineup is more flexible and more matchup dependent. And frankly, it's also more who is hot that night dependent. That's the main thing. Uh, I think Ime will make a lot of adjustments kind of in the game flow to see who he wants to close with. But I think when push comes to shove, the way that this team is constructed, I think the Celtics are trying to emphasize those five guys as the main ones. As for the third question about staggering Jalen and Jason, so there was a lot of talk at the Olympics and in the offseason about Jason Tatum evolving as a playmaker and kind of central hub of the offense. Given how the Celtics bench is looking heading into the season where there's some guys with upside and some guys that maybe are a little more unproven, uh, Mm -hmm. as well as a guy like Schroeder who really needs the ball to be effective, I think there's a reasonable chance that you're going to see Jason flexing his playmaking muscles in some bench heavy units as a kind of gravitational offensive threat who can get other guys going. Uh, Because if you think about it, Jason going up against bench dudes, most of those guys are going to be terrified and focusing (laughs) all of their attention on him, which is going to lead to some open looks. I think Jalen and Marcus play really well together, and I think their minutes are going to be as closely synced as possible. So if we're looking for staggering, I would say it's probably you start off with your starting five and then you pull Jason midway through the first quarter and try to get something out of uh, Jalen, Marcus, and whoever else is on the floor before you throw in Jason for the second quarter as the kind of primary bench threat to play with the bench unit. Justin. I actually, I know it's not great podcasting. I don't disagree with almost all of that, though I do think there's <laughs> actually a chance that we end up seeing Peyton Pritchard starting just to provide some shooting that's fairly reliable that isn't coming from Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, because we've seen that they get swarmed pretty easily by opposing defenses and by having Peyton running around off ball, as we saw him do a bit more of in summer league, then that's a great way to kind of, you know, keep the ball uh, moving to people who can actually score uh, in ways that it doesn't matter if they double one of those wings. So I'm going to, and we're going to get out of here pretty quick, but I, not to be a contrarian, but I, I, I think I disagree with Alex on a number of points. The first is that I, I actually don't want Jalen to play with Marcus Smart. I want the opposite, which is if ever Jalen and Jason decide that they are stepping on each other's toes, I think it will come from Jalen first because he's not the chosen son. He doesn't have a million ad deals and he just isn't going to be the focal point of the offense in the same way. I was really impressed with him this year compared to last few seasons, because I think he calls his number a lot. And this year he was really efficient in his scoring in part because he didn't do that that often, but I think giving him three minutes a quarter to be the guy is going to be really helpful for his mental fortitude. There's not going to be that point guard who says like, I got to go to Jason. Now I got to go to Jalen. Now I got to get Alan involved so the coach is going to have to do that so i'd love to see jalen and shooters and maybe rob or like an enforcer down low even if it doesn't work just to make sure jalen gets his because i think alex you are right that jason's gonna eat against bench units it doesn't matter that dude is an olympian and a gold medal winner if you're the 10th guy on the orlando magic you're screwed so 
how the staggering works in terms of like where it happens in the game, I'm not sure, but I want Marcus and Jason to ride together because I want Jalen to have a pretty open runway. And then um, I'll close with something that's unpopular and not going to happen. I want Schroeder to be the starting point guard and I would be fine with Smart coming off the bench. Um, not going to happen, obviously. The you way don't, the extension you works, don't the culture sign, of the team works. Yeah, you don't sign dudes to $77 million extensions and then tell them to come off the bench for the $9 million guy. <laughs> yeah, I no, it's not going to happen. But the way that I see Marcus Smart is like some sort of deranged free safety and that like he sees the floor as it opens up. And I imagine he can go through the chess and see the game as it opens up. And so I could see him six minutes into the game saying to Udoka, okay, pull Jalen now because I got this guy or pull Josh now because this is where I need to go in. And that's not going to happen because of the point that you just raised Alex and all the other reasons why it won't happen. But if this is my like 2K franchise or something and I was omnipotent, I would keep smart on the sideline and then pick the player in the backcourt or on the wing that needed a break defensively or sometimes offensively and just throw smart in there as an injection of energy and chaos. So all that said, I think we all suspect smart is going to close games unless he doesn't have it or broke his hand punching something. Um, So I wouldn't smart start smart. I would have him be like a, Pitbull version of Ginobili, but he is going to start almost definitely. My only counter to that is that if you don't think Dennis Schroeder can bring some chaos off the bench, you've not watched enough Dennis Schroeder. (laughs) All right, (laughs) on that um, on that little bombshell, let's end there because we're going to talk about the rotation ten times in September and October until we're bored of it. And until then, thanks for listening. Be sure to like and subscribe if you did. Be sure to check out Divine Sweater if you haven't. Go check out our Divine t-shirts that we have by way of Design Tree. And we will talk to you next week.